brothers and sisters, welcome to the Christian Fishers of Men podcast. I am your host, Alan, and we are on episode 37. Hopefully everybody was able to listen to General Conference. Um, General Conference was a balm of Gilead to me. There was, the week before was insane. That was a crazy week. You guys saw that I did a part one of Prepare for General Conference. I had a part two planned, um, but there was a active shooter scare in all of Utah uh, and a couple other states across the nation, and all five of um, my kids were um, locked down <laughs> on that that Wednesday before, and so me and my wife spent about an hour on high alert, not knowing. Um, what was happening, and thinking that some very serious uh, situations were going on. Uh, the SWAT team and, and everybody else was there in about 30 seconds. Uh, absolutely love our, our police officers and our first responders here where I'm at. Um, it was It was really crazy. We wound up checking out the kids after it was all found to be a hoax. Um, a lot of kids had a hard time with that. That was, that was pretty traumatic for a lot of kids. But we checked out the kids and we just, we had, uh, the next couple of days we had a, a family day and stuff like that. So, we wound up, I wound up not getting much done in the way of podcasts. And I wound up doing a lot of family time and then, uh, watching general conference, but, General Conference was outstanding. It was, like I said, a balm of Gilead for me. With all the stuff going on in the world, I have this um, curse. It's a blessing and a curse where I, I keep my ear to the ground. And in so doing, that can cause you to focus on, on the bad. You know what I mean? And I think General Conference was kind of a... Uh, kind of a realigning of priorities and of a, a reminder of faith and of Christ. And it ties in perfectly with, with what follows uh, starting today. Today's Wednesday. Today is uh, Passover. So we have actually uh, been celebrating Passover for the past couple of years. Now, obviously, we're not Jewish, right? But it's it's interesting when you look at the holidays that we do celebrate. When you when you look at Christmas, when you look at Easter and the dipping of the eggs and stuff like that, a lot of that stuff has a lot of pagan roots. You know what I mean? But we've kind of uh, changed it and altered it so that they they are completely centered around Christ. And I liked how it was said in General Conference that the only reason that we celebrate Christmas is because it basically commemorates the Easter story of the resurrection of Christ and stuff like that. Really, really good talk. But it was one of those things a couple of years ago, we looked at the Passover and we, we said, why aren't we celebrating this? You know, we look at in the Old Testament, how there is an explanation for these feasts 
that the Israelites, not the Jews, not just the Jews, I should say, but the Israelites were commanded to celebrate these feasts. And they, you know, they, they tied in with the times and the seasons and stuff like that. Extremely symbolic feasts. And while I'm not advocating going back to, you know, those, those pre-birth of Christ uh, practices and doctrines and stuff like that, I think that um, that we have. I think that there is an identity to be reclaimed there. We'll say it that way. And I think that the Passover um, is something that is a type and a shadow, obviously, of Christ and the resurrection. And and there's a lot of deep symbolism there. But also, I think it really does tie into him coming again and delivering us again from uh, Satan and his legions. And it really is, is it's striking home a lot more every year that we celebrate. It strikes home just a lot more. And I find myself really... Um, really getting into the Passover feast, into, into the symbolism, and into what it represents, and feeling a closeness uh, with my Heavenly Father as, as we, we celebrate and as we explain some of the symbolism to the kids as we go throughout. Our, now, we don't do a hardcore Jewish um, Passover. We have we, we've taken it and we have adopted it, obviously, to Christianity. I don't set out a a chair for Elijah because he already came in the in the temple, right? So, I mean, there's obviously there's there's it's not like a super strict way that I that I do it. I don't do it like a Jew would do it today, basically. Uh, we really focus on the symbolism and on what everything represents, and obviously we tie it into Christ. And it's really, really cool. Um, my kids will have wound up, most of my kids, well, some of my kids, they will have grown up not ever knowing that we never celebrated Passover before a certain time. And it's just really got me, truly really got me thinking. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, uh, I will be doing another podcast. It's going to be a post-conference after-action review. Um, but this one, it being Passover, I wanted to go ahead and do this one today. And I'll do that, that other one next week, I think. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll release it this weekend. We'll see. Um, this is a time, brothers and sisters, for us to put ourselves, to liken the scriptures unto ourselves, as Nephi did, and to, as I said before, reclaim your, your heritage, your identity. Now, some of us, I had it explained to me by a patriarch that if in your patriarchal blessing, um, he basically said that if, if it says that you come through uh, this, you know, for example, we'll use the tribe of Ephraim. If you come through Joseph and the tribe of Ephraim, right, through his younger son Ephraim, 
then you literally have that Israelite DNA, and that is what is being activated. That is what is tying you, that you are literally a son of Joseph, right? You are literally a son of Ephraim. It's literally your DNA. Um, and that the wording is different if you are being adopted into into the, the uh, one of the tribes, right? And obviously, it is our responsibility to look at those blessings that were promised to each one of those tribes, right? And then fulfill it, start to fulfill it, try to focus on that, and that is, is part of your mission in mortality. And there's, I, I've, I have heard some different things and stuff like that, but this is what was explained to me by a patriarch, so that's what I'm going to go with. Is that if you were adopted into one of the tribes, then you would be named as a son of, of Abraham, basically. You would be named as being adopted into one of the tribes through Abraham, right? And again, I've heard, I've heard different things on that, and it doesn't, super matter, really, because whether through adoption or whether through a literal a blood connection to ancestry that is Israel, God doesn't really care about your DNA. He doesn't care where you came from, right? He cares that you are being gathered into Israel. And whether that's through adoption or DNA, it really doesn't matter, as I said. There are blessings uh, to lay hold, lay hold of, and there is a heritage to claim. And that really started to resonate with me as I have spiritually grown, and as I have grown in the gospel, and as I have tried to be a good man and tried to emulate the Savior, which is very hard. It's not an easy task. But as I have strived to understand what it means to be a, a son of God, right? If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find that there is a distinction between the sons of God and the daughters of men, right? There's there's this idea that is presented throughout the scriptures. And if you have entered through the waters of baptism, and if you have made covenants and stuff, you have, you have claimed the title of son or daughter of God, right? You are more than just a natural fallen man. You have entered in through the straight and narrow gate and you are on the path that will lead you back into presence with the Father. You are a son of God. And also, you are a son or daughter of Christ through the atonement. He, has, he lays uh, claim and, and has a hold upon you, right? And that's the distinction. Those are the two types of peoples in this world, right? There are sons of, of man, right, who have not entered into the covenants. And that's not to dog on them at all. That's why we're, that's why we have the missionary program. We are trying to get everybody onto the boat, right? 
We're trying to gather everybody. It doesn't matter what uh, country you're from, what your DNA is. We want everybody to share in this brotherhood, right? In this sisterhood, in this family of Christ. But it's, it's interesting to think about that as I have realized what that meant, um, being born into the church myself, having come from two convert parents, you know, it's it's can be sometimes difficult, I think, and we definitely take it for granted, uh, those of us who are born into the church. However, there should be a period of conversion for every single member of the church, for every single person who is exposed to this doctrine and who lays, lays hold upon it at whether they're eight years old or whether they're 16 or whether they're 60, or as my grandfather was, like 96 years old, right, when he joined the church. Um, there should be a period of conversion. And sometimes that comes early and sometimes it comes later, right? There, there's a point in your life where you look at this doctrine, you look at this, at this gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have to decide, is this... Is this real? Is this true? Is this something that I want to actually adhere to for the rest of my life, right? Me and my wife had a really good discussion with the kids uh, the other night where we were talking about the world. We were talking about the temptations that they they have before them. We covered pornography. We covered uh, sexual promiscuity. We covered a bunch of stuff. And we told them, you know, this, th these are things that you guys, not just you guys, but we have to guard ourselves against and stuff like that. And we told them that when we were dating, when me and my wife were dating, um, my wife had not, she didn't have a foundation. You know, she wasn't brought to primary as a kid. She was exposed to the church through being raised by her grandparents after a certain age. She was taken out of her home. Uh, did not have a good a good upbringing to a certain age, very abusive and stuff like that, so much so that she was removed from her home and was uh, brought to live with her grandparents where she was exposed to the gospel, where she was exposed to the, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints and stuff. And there came a time... Um, in her life, where she she drifted from it, and I think we all do. I think we I, I did as well. There was a time when I drifted. I started to drift, and when we got together and when we started to date, um, I was looking at dating and marrying a a single mom, right? And so that was something that we talked about, and it was something that we you know she had kind of walked the other path and seen what life was like. And that was something that we talked about was that, look, if we're going to go forward with this, we obviously like each other. You know, we um, enjoy hanging out together. I was uh, I was okay with, with being a, a insta-dad, right? Marrying a girl and becoming a father just like that. And But that was one of the things that we talked about was, you know, we both kind of showed up with the same conclusion that, look, we don't want to have... Um, a life, a home life, a marriage where 
we're swearing at each other, where the kids uh, can see contention, where the kids can see abuse and stuff like that. Like we said, we want the gospel to be the forefront and the focus and the glue that holds us together. That We want to raise our children to, uh, unto Christ. And as we, we made that agreement and kind of that, that covenant to each other, it has been really cool to see how, how our children are growing up and the Lord is, is laying claim upon them and he is using them, even at very young ages. He's using them as instruments in his hands to do his work. And this, going back to laying, laying hold upon that claim, upon that heritage, I look at things like the Passover, and I feel a kinship with my ancestors, my Israelite ancestors, who were in bondage, who were under the yoke of slavery, right? to the Egyptians, and they were in a no-win scenario. There was no... it was hopeless. It really was hopeless. You had the most dominant nation on the earth with a military that could back up anything that the Pharaoh would decree. Who was completely and utterly over the people of God, the Israelites. These people had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten how to be Israelites. They had forgotten everything, right? It had been beaten and worked out of them. Now, I'm not saying that the that 100% of the nation, but I, what I'm saying here is that these people were not allowed time to worship God. They had probably really forgotten a lot about how to even worship Jehovah. So much so that when Moses goes on Mount Sinai to the burning bush, he has to ask, who shall I tell them sent me? He doesn't even know the name of the of the god the god that he's talking to the god of the old testament now in our scriptures it says you know you'll see that it will capitalize lord l o r d right whenever you see that that is a out of respect the translators would not uh translate the name of god so they wouldn't say jehovah Yehoshua, right? They wouldn't say that. They would say, LORD, all caps. But if you go back to that verse, right? The LORD, Jesus Christ, the pre-mortal Jehovah, God of the Old Testament, he tells, he tells Moses, tell them that the LORD, capital L-O-R-D, has sent you. Okay? what he really said was, tell them that Jehovah has sent you. He reintroduces himself, right? He says, this is my name. I am laying claim upon this people. Right? 
It's actually beautiful. It is, it is so much more beautiful if you know some of these little intricacies. So these, these Israelite people, our ancestors, they were in a horrible pickle. They were made to work with rigor, it says. And I can't help but, as I say, we liken the scriptures to ourselves. We are um, slaves right now to an Egypt. And it's becoming more and more prevalent every day. And the cloak is being taken off of Egypt more and more every day. And I see the bondage that we are in as a people, as a, as a Christian people. I look at how we are losing people to false gods. They might as well be the Egyptian gods, right? We, we are in a position to where like our ancestors, it will take an act of God to relieve us of the burdens of, of wickedness that we, are, that we are in. We're in an ocean of wickedness, and the target, it's being more and more apparent that the target is being set upon us, Christians. Um... Just recently, they discovered that the FBI had put uh, Catholics, you know, hardcore Catholics were put on, on a list as, as potential uh, domestic terrorists. Like I said, this is a time for us Christians to band together, to, to say, you know what, let's not worry about our differences in theology right now. Let's, let's back each other up. And let's uh, focus on Christ Jesus, right? We can all agree that, that by grace we are saved after all that we can do, right? We have to do our part. We can't, you can't just be a lazy disciple of Christ, right? It requires something of you. But let's, just, let's rally around Jesus and, and accepting him as our Lord and Savior and knowing that, that he is the Redeemer. Let's rally around that and let's back each other up. Let's, let's link arm and arm together, right? It's incredible to me that we are in these times and as the Israelites, there's nothing that we can do of ourselves to get us out of this mess that we're in. There are forces of evil and there is wickedness being perpetuated upon upon our not just our nation but all nations right it's it really is incredible if you look at canada during the lockdown and what they did to their pastors and what they did to to a lot of their priests and stuff like that um that was really scary and that's that's the show ain't over yet guys When I look at the situation that they were in, that the ancient Israelites were in, and we look at the situation that we are in, and we come to a holiday 
celebrated celebrated by the Israelites, commanded that they would celebrate and remember this forever, right? I ask myself, forever seems like a long time. Like, seems like we were supposed to remember this. Seems like we, there was, there wasn't a expiration date put on the Passover, right? And it got me thinking a couple of years ago. It got me thinking about everything. And I, I delved into a lot of the um, celebrations. You know, if you grew up coloring eggs and stuff like that for Easter, you should look into the roots of that. It's, it's really dark. It's very dark and pagan. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't have fun and do an Easter egg hunt with the kids and stuff like that. That's, that's, that's not the point here. The point is that our ancestors, the Israelites, right? We are Israelites. And I'm not advocating or saying that the church should should start celebrating Passover, but I think that maybe on a personal level, on a family level, I think that it would be um, really cool if we as a people started to turn back to a lot of these things that our ancestors did, especially ones like, like the Passover, these feasts. And we start to bring them back with, with in mind that Christ, you know, we, we need Christ to come back. And we need more than ever for the destroying angel to pass over us as we accept uh, Christ and as we make sacred covenants, as we enter into the waters of baptism and make those sacred covenants in the, in the temple uh, with, with God. And as Christ lays claim upon us, there is something very powerful to me. And it, I get goosebumps even now. But there's something very powerful to me about celebrating these, these religious holidays with in mind, keeping it in our heart, in our mind, that we are at that point where we need Christ to come back to redeem us, to save us from the horrible situation that we are in right now. There is something really special about that. And so I look at, at things like the Passover and I'm, st I'm striving to learn more, right? And I feel every year that we do it, as we pray as... Uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and as we offer up these these prayers, and as we remember, as we remember the captivity and the slavery of our ancestors and the the redemption, as we see Christ in the Passover, there is just an incredible appreciation for the Savior and for how powerful He actually is and for how much he actually cares about us, you know? It is something special to me, and I will celebrate Passover from here on out. I'm not going to miss a year of celebrating Passover. It has become, to me, um, probably the most, one of the most important holidays that we celebrate every year. And we don't, like I say, we don't, 
we don't go all out and have extravagant candles and a menorah and stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's not what we do. Ours is a very humble celebration. Um, but it is one that that is is absolutely dripping with symbolism and one that is is more importantly, I think, putting our minds upon Christ, understanding what he did for our people, and understanding that we need that to happen again. We need that to happen again, and preferably ASAP, <laughs> right? Preferably ASAP. As I look at the world, and as I, um, you know, a lot of people, I, it seemed like it was kind of controversial for me to put up that, um, that video by Morgan Philpot, and like I say, I don't a hundred percent agree with everything that he said, but there, the the main message of what he was talking about, I absolutely loved. And one of the main points that he made was that there will come a time when there will be an end of all nations, right? As I look at governments, um, and governments of countries getting ready and, in some cases, as we know, actively sending their sons and daughters against each other, I look forward to an end of, of all nations, and I look forward to a unification under a monarchy of Christ. And I look, it has changed my perspective a lot. We'll say that, it has changed my perspective a lot. And I, I, I think that as, as I do a lot of these podcasts, I always you know, try to, at the end, say, hey, I don't care where you're from. I don't care who you are or where you're from. I hope that you don't judge me off of what my corrupt government is doing, and I hope, and I would hope that I wouldn't judge you off of what your corrupt government is doing. Because our governments are corrupt and rotten to the core right now. There is only one safe haven. Only one true place where you can be safe. Where you can live as brothers and sisters in, in harmony. And that is under the umbrella of Christ. That is under the umbrella of Jesus Christ himself. Under that, that government of the Son of God. And it has changed, as I said, it changed my perspective a lot on things. It really has. I look at these ancient feasts, and I might even try to start incorporating more of them. And this, you know, a lot of people get, get weirded out when I tell them that, yeah, I celebrate Passover. You know, it's, it's, it's not that I'm trying to become a Jew. It's not that I'm trying to go back to the Old Testament. It's that I'm trying to... I think that it's very important that we reclaim our identity. I think it's very important that we remember who we are. That it's not just lip service. We don't just say, yeah, hurrah for Israel. You know what I mean? And we have no idea what that actually means. We are Israel, right? The Jews are our, our brethren. And there will come a time 
where we all will kneel and that they will know who Messiah is. They will recognize that Yehoshua, he was Messiah all along, right? Jesus Christ, he has been the Messiah. He did come. And he has come again, right? He will come again to save us again on two different sides of the world. This is a crazy time to be alive, brothers and sisters, but it is an exciting time to be alive. And I think about the, the Israelites while all the plagues were happening. The Israelites were living under the government of Egypt. Egypt provided everything for the support of Israel. They, they gave them food. They gave them stuff to be able to make their, their houses, you know, their, as shabby as they were. I don't know. I assume they weren't staying at the plaza. They literally took care of every need that they had. They told them when to work. They told them when to sleep. This was Satan's plan, brothers and sisters. And this is what is trying to be enacted upon us right now. The parallels are there. They want to be able to tell us now what you can eat, what you can drink, how much you can eat how much you can drink, where to work, what you should wear. Like, this stuff is happening again. There is a communistic approach, it seems. And we don't have a monarchy now, per se, that as we did with Egypt and Pharaoh, but there is a... What we have now is probably even more dangerous, right? Because it is a global governance thing. A, you know, a lot of people use the term New World Order and stuff like that. I'm not going into conspiracy here. I, I, I think it's conspiracy fact at this point. But there is a, a concerted effort to bring the entire world population under the hill of a few powerful people. And that is nothing new. That's nothing new. This this has happened since the beginning of time. There was never a ceasefire from the war in heaven. It continues today. We talk about the war in heaven as if it was a, a thing in the past. It's happening now, brothers and sisters. We have bodies now. But Satan's plan of of I will not lose one soul and I will... Basically, I will force them to, to all conform, right? That is being enacted upon the earth today. And it is being, we are being yoked and have been yoked for ever since, it seems, um, 1776, right? As soon as America became a country, we started to slowly have the chains of oppression put on us as citizens to the point where now 
I don't recognize my country from when I was, even when I served, when I joined up as a 17-year-old in, in the military, I don't recognize the country today from when I served. And the level of oppression, the level of parallels to Egypt are growing and growing and growing. I could go on and on about that. I'm having to hold myself back a little bit here, but brothers and sisters, we are in a position to where the children of Israel started to cry out for help. They cried out to a God that they didn't even hardly know, but that they, they remembered that there was a God. They remembered that there was this God who their ancestors reverenced and prayed to, and he did miracles for them, and he brought them, he saved them from a famine, and he brought them over to this land of Egypt where, where Joseph was, and they were cared for up until a certain point. Then they were enslaved, and they needed to be let go. They needed to be freed from slavery. They had to remember who they were, and they started to. They started to pray and God says that he has, he, at some point, you know, he's talking to Moses, he says, I have heard the pleas of, of the, my children. I have heard them, right? They started to cry out to him. We have to do the same thing. I know that the Lord will help us if we cry out to him. Even if it's done in the Lord's time, if it takes a while, we have to begin that process. We have to cry out for help and for deliverance, right? It's like that song, Deliver Us. Incredible song from the, the, uh, the movie The Prince of Egypt. You know, we have to cry out for deliverance. We have to... We have to live in such a way and be mindful of the doctrine of, of the scriptures, of our identity and who we are, brothers and sisters. We have to remember, as those children of Israel had to remember who they were, we have to remember who we are. And we have to lay hold upon those blessings. We have to do our part. We have to be strong. We have to cry out for deliverance from the evil that we find ourselves in now. Brothers and sisters, I I have written down here just a bunch of the a bunch of the Passover stuff and I'd like to share it with you really quick before I close it up here. I'm getting I'm keeping myself from getting off track here. <laughs> There's so much more that I would love to talk about, but the whole, the whole Passover story, let me just give you a recap, okay? So the Pharaoh was, he, he was fearful that there would be too many uh, Israelites living in Egypt. So it says in the scriptures that there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, okay? There was a change in government, basically, if you go to the historical side. 
where the original inhabitants of, of Egypt, they actually were kicked out by a group of people who were uh, shepherds and stuff like that, and they took over the government of Egypt. And it was those people that Joseph and the Israelites befriended and were cool with, right? And they had a lot in common, apparently. Well, the original inhabitants wound up taking back Egypt and putting under the, uh, the, the boot the children of Israel, since they were allies with the, the people who took over, right? From the original inhabitants. So these original inhabitants didn't really have a love for these people. And they, they thought, well, what should we do with them? Let's turn them into slaves. And so they did. There was a pharaoh who arose in Egypt who knew not Joseph. So not only does he put them under slavery, but then he institutes at a, at a certain point, he says, hey, uh, we need to make sure that these guys can't fight us if they get that that wild hair, you know what I mean? We need to make sure that these guys uh, can't get weapons and come after us because they're a threat. And they are w within the walls of our city. They're within our stronghold, right? So they institute infanticide, where they take and say, every, every male baby we are going to uh, kill. It is a wickedness that's hard to understand, brothers and sisters, but... We're, I think that we're, um, we've given Egypt a run for its money today and, and have surpassed them in that regard. But regardless, they enact this infanticide uh, decree, and Moses' mom has to hide the fact that he is a, a male baby for a long time, and then she winds up having to put him in a basket, right, and float him down the Nile River where he becomes adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses ends up having, um, growing up, you know, and, and see, there's a misconception, I think, that people will, and it's portrayed in our movies, it's easy to understand, but Moses, it was obvious to Moses that he was not an Egyptian. He had a different skin color than the Egyptians. The, the Egyptians knew who Moses was. They knew he wasn't, he wasn't an Egyptian, right? But Moses was educated as an Egyptian. He learned to read and write as an Egyptian. He probably spoke the Egyptian language, right? And I wonder if that is why he was slow of speech when he was speaking to his people in Hebrew. Perhaps it wasn't his native tongue. Just a side note, but Moses winds up killing a slave master, right, to save one of his, his brethren, ends up having to flee the country as a fugitive, and then is shaped for a period of time, right? Shaped, molded. He has gone from living in a palace to, to being a sheep herder for his father-in-law Jethro, right? Moses then goes to the burning bush on Sinai and he receives this mission that he is to go and to, to let Israel know that God remembers them. 
and to demand of Pharaoh, to command Pharaoh, who, if we remember, is quote-unquote a god to the Egyptians, right? The god Jehovah shows up and says, you will let my people go. And Moses is the messenger. I think that's a side note here. I think it's important that we remember that, that Jehovah Christ chose a prophet to represent him and to declare his will, right? There's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff there. Remember that foundation. Don't ever forget the foundation. It is ancient and it is Old Testament as well as New Testament. It is there. But he says, you are going to go and you are going to tell Pharaoh that he's going to let my people go. So Moses goes, right? He goes and he goes back to Egypt. And he is able to, you know, I'm pretty sure that the Pharaoh who was alive during that time has passed on and the son has taken over, the new uh, Pharaoh. So Moses is able to enter the country and they don't want to kill him, right? Somehow he's able to, he, he was able to go back, even as a fugitive, and he was all right. I'm sure the Lord prepared the way for that to happen. But he goes back and demands of Pharaoh that he needs to allow his people to worship Jehovah. And at first, it wasn't let my people go. It was, at first it was, hey, you need to let us go into the wilderness so we can make sacrifices to Jehovah. Eventually, it is, you need to let my people go, right? And each time that Pharaoh said no, God would send a plague down to Egypt. Um, darkness, lice, boils, cattle, diseases, gay, like all that stuff. There were ten plagues in total, right? And these plagues, if you look, they basically are a mic drop against every one of the ten major gods of Egypt. And they are... It's basically a, um, a flex. He's flexing. God, Jehovah, is flexing on every one of those false gods and saying, no, 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 no. You think you're the, the god of this? I am the god of this. Let me go ahead and prove that to you, right? Let me go ahead and show you power. And he does. Okay, the tenth plague is the one that is the, the ultimate mic drop. Okay, it is the ultimate um, show of power. It is the ultimate show of force. It is the ultimate show, showing of, of that I am God. Okay, he killed the firstborn. Okay, well, he sent an angel, the angel of death, to kill the firstborn of, of all who dwelt in the land of Egypt, right? And in order to protect their firstborn, 
the Israelites marked their doors with lamb's blood, so that the angel of death would pass over them. Okay, that's where we get the name Passover. Okay, it's it's like Pesach in, in Hebrew. The Hebrews were protected by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, obviously symbolic of Christ. Ultimately, after this, Pharaoh gets the message. And the Israelites are allowed to leave, okay? And they don't just leave. They leave with, with riches, okay? The Egyptians spoil them with riches, right? And they are allowed to leave. And as, as they are leaving, right, comes a certain point where Pharaoh's like, just kidding, let's go bring them back. We'll either wipe them out or we're going to bring them back. There's no, like... It was almost like the Pharaoh was the last um, of the quote-unquote gods that needed to be taught a lesson. And so he was like, hey, it's, a, it's up to me now. And so he then goes and, and catches up to them, or almost catches up to them. Again, God intercedes on their behalf. And Moses parts the Red Sea. I should say God Jehovah parts the Red Sea through Moses, his prophet. They are allowed to go down into the depths of the Red Sea on dry ground and come out on the other end. There is incredible symbolism behind that, brothers and sisters. Incredible symbolism. And that ties into the Passover itself. It ties into Christ. They were in danger. They were about to be wiped out as a people. There was nothing that they could do. They had no weapons to defend themselves. It would have been a slaughter. They had to have faith, because Moses said, Okay, we're getting to the we're, we're gonna go over to the sea. The sea parts. And Moses says, Let's go. We're gonna walk into this in between these two walls of ocean. And we're gonna get to the other side. And if you do this, we will be okay. Brothers and sisters, We need to look at this story more closely. We need to remember this story more closely and apply it to ourselves. This is one of those things that we should revisit once a year. We should put ourselves and liken ourselves and the scriptures to ourselves. We need to reclaim that identity, that Israelite heritage, and understand where we came from. We need to understand why our people believed as they did. We need to understand their failures. The whole reason that we exist is because they, they, they forgot Jehovah. They forgot God. And they adopted the ways of the world. They ceased to become, or they ceased to be sons and daughters of God. That is happening right now. 
I will leave you with, with that thought, brothers and sisters. I will leave you hopefully dwelling upon your Israelite heritage, dwelling upon what the Passover actually represents, the deep Christ symbolism that is incredibly present. And I would ask you, brothers and sisters, that you begin to pray as our, as our Israelite ancestors did for deliverance. For deliverance and that, that the, the Redeemer will come back, will step in to our reality once again and save us from the wickedness and the evil that is being perpetuated upon us and our children. I love you guys. I love the gospel. I'm, I'm not a perfect man. But I am, I'm striving to, to try. I'm trying. And that is what makes us worthy, brothers and sisters. That effort. God accepts that effort. Live up to your covenants and remember who you are. You are sons and daughters of Israel. And ultimately, you are sons and daughters of Christ. You are sons and daughters of God. Don't forget that. Remember that. And maybe even start remembering it once a year, the celebration of Passover. I bear my testimony to you guys. I know that Christ is the Redeemer. I know that He is the God of the Old Testament. He is and was Jehovah. He is the great I Am. He calls prophets and apostles in these days. He is the architect. He is the one who came up with the blueprint for the foundation of the church. Trust in Christ. Trust in the foundation. Christ is mighty to save, and the church is true. And if we will remember, if we will look back, and if we will pray for deliverance, brothers and sisters, the angel of death will pass over us. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.